Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. Faith in the face of death. You know, death, uh, mortality, is something that we all face, right? The, the statistics still hold true. One out of one die. Now, isn't that an exciting way to start the, the time tonight? Isn't that encouraging? One out of one die. And if Jesus tarries, guess what? You're going to die. And if Jesus tarries, I'm going to die. It's just the, the, the facts of the situation. We are every day, and I'm really encouraging you tonight, we are every day a step closer to our appointment with eternity, right? We don't know when it is, when a house going to happen, but all of us are a step closer. Now, Christians should face that reality different than non-Christians. We should, we should process that differently than people that don't have the, the promises that we have, the, the hope that we have, the peace that we have. So I want to talk to you about how Christians, followers of Christ, face the reality of mortality. Because if you look in there in your notes, you're not ready to live if you're not ready to die. Think about that. You're not ready to live, and I don't know who, quoted, who said that first, I've heard it often, but you're not ready to live if you're not ready to die. You're not ready to really live life, make an impact, have joy, have peace, have purpose, if you're not ready to face death. If you don't have the right perspective on death and eternity and the brevity of this life. So we need to understand how to be ready to face our death and, uh, consequently, the death of our loved ones. How do we, how do we face that, that scary thing called death? How can you be prepared to die? That's the question I want to answer. And we're going to learn how you are prepared to die by looking at the life of Abraham. Because Abraham is an example of walking by faith. You remember way back in Genesis chapter 12, God appeared to Abram at that time and he made some promises to Abram. And the promises were threefold. He said, Abram, I want to give you and Sarah a son. They had not been able to conceive at that point. They were advanced in years. He said, I'm going to give you a son, and through your son I'm going to give you descendants, and your descendants will grow into a great nation. So he promised to give Abram a, a, a multitude of descendants that would be a nation, the nation that we know as the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. The second promise is I'm going to give them a land to live in, a promised land that will be theirs to reside in. And the third promise was I'm going to use this, this nation to bless all the peoples on the face of the earth. He said, wait, how in the world... Do the Jews bless all the people on the face of the earth? Well, remember that about 2,000 years ago, through the Jewish people, Jesus came, right? The Messiah. He was born of the Virgin Mary, a young Jewish girl. And Jesus came to this earth, and he went to the cross. And as John the Baptist said, he died, the Lamb of God died, for the sins of the what? World. He died for everyone. So if anyone of any tribe, any tongue, any ethnicity, any language, any any country, if anyone places their faith in Jesus Christ, they are blessed with salvation through Jesus Christ, right? So through the Jews came the Messiah, through the Messiah came uh, the su- substitutionary death uh, uh, for sinners, and if anyone places their faith in Christ, they can be blessed with salvation. That's the fulfillment of the promises made to Abram way back in Genesis chapter 12. Now after God made those promises to Abraham, there was a delay in the fulfillment of the promises. And so Abraham had to walk by faith. 
He had to cling to those promises, and God intersected his life at different times to reiterate those promises. But, but Abraham had to walk by faith because he, he had heard the promise. He believed the promise, Genesis 15, 6. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But he did not see the promise come to fruition. So he, was, a, an, he is, was an example, is an example of someone who walked by faith. And we certainly want to walk by faith so we can learn a lot from Abram. We can learn how Abraham faced death, death of his loved ones and his own death. So let me give you four thoughts tonight. Four thoughts. Sorry, five thoughts. Five thoughts as to how we can be prepared to die. You say, five thoughts? That doesn't sound like it'll take very long. We'll just, just hang in there, all right? Number one, first way to be prepared to die, know that you have eternal life because of your faith in Christ. Know that you have eternal life because of your faith in Christ. That's the most important thing I'm going to say tonight. If, if you're going to face death with peace and with hope, then you need to know what's on the other side of your death. You need to know what's on the other side of your transition into eternity. And the only way to know that you have life after death, eternal life after death, is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what happened with Abram. Over in Genesis 15, 6, God reiterated these promises to Abraham of a a people, a nation, a land, a a blessing for all the peoples on the face of the earth, which was a, a, a... a, a, a promise of the coming Messiah. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He believed God, reckoned to him as righteousness. How was Abraham saved before the cross? He was saved the same way we're saved, by faith. He was saved by looking forward to what God was going to do through his Messiah, we're saved by looking back at what God did through his Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? So you're saved by faith. And that's what Romans says. Look, turn to Romans chapter 4. I want to show you this and how this ties into our faith in Christ. Romans chapter 4, New Testament. Paul uses Genesis 15, 6 As a way to talk about our faith, our saving faith in Jesus Christ. And look what he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 22. Well, back up to verse 20. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. His faith in God's promises gave him a right standing with God. He was made right. Even though he was a sinner, he was declared righteous by God. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. So God wants us to learn something from Genesis 15, 6, that his faith was counted as righteousness. But for ours also, verse 24, it's a picture of our saving faith. It will be counted to us, righteousness will be counted to us, right standing with God will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So here's the question. How can God just declare us righteous if we're unrighteous? Answer, Jesus came to die for our unrighteousness, right? He died for our sins. And when we place our faith in Jesus, he forgives us of all of our unrighteousness. Then he gives us his own righteousness as a gift. So now, because of our 
Forgiveness because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, God says, justified. You have a right standing with me, a relationship with me. You're no longer separated from me by your sin. Jesus took care of your sin, and you placed your faith in what Jesus did for you, which leads to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, here it is, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? And so Abraham's saving faith is a a picture of of our saving faith. He was saved by faith just like we are. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And that's how you know that you have a right relationship with God, that your sin no longer separates you, and that when you die, because you have peace with God, you go directly into his presence in that wonderful place called heaven. So if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're ready to die. I know we don't like to think about our mortality, and we particularly don't want to think about how we might die, but if you know Christ, you're ready to die. The Bible says that Jesus defeated the last enemy, which is death. Death no longer has any power over our lives because death is not the end. It is a transition into the presence of the Lord. That's good news, right? So it, it takes the sting away from it, the, 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 the fear from it, knowing that we have eternity with Jesus in our future. Now listen to me. Everyone in this room has a soul that's eternal. Everyone in this room. And everyone in this room's soul will, will live on forever. Even if your body goes in the ground, your soul will live on forever in one of two places. Wonderful place called heaven with Jesus or that awful place called hell separated from God forever. A place of torment, a place of everlasting destruction. And where a person's soul goes after they die is dependent solely upon what they do with Jesus here in this life. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've placed your faith in Him and what He's done for you, called on his name to save you, you know you're going to heaven. If you haven't, if you've turned your back on Jesus, kept Jesus at arm's length, said, I'll get around to it someday, and you die in that condition, you will spend eternity separated from God. So learn from Abraham. The reason he could face death the way he did is because he had saving faith. And if you want to be ready to die, you need saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? That's number one. Number two, how can you be prepared to die? Live to leave a legacy. Live to leave a legacy. Now turn back with me to Genesis chapter 25. I want to show you some things that are said about Abraham as he comes to the place of his death. The Bible says, Abraham, this is after the death of Sarah, which happens in chapter 23. We'll talk some more about her in a few moments. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, Lumim. Sons of Midian were... Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abidah, Eldah, all these were the children of Keturah. A- Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. 
These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Laharoi. So we see here that Abraham dies, and we see some things about him. We, we, we're almost, it's almost like we're reading his obituary here as to what kind of man that he was. Now here's several things I want you to know about Abraham. First of all, Abraham walked with God for a century. Abraham walked with God for a century. It says there in verse 7 and 8 that he died... Uh, at 175 years of age. It's a good, full life, right? And it says over in chapter 12, 4, that God appeared to him for the first time to give him these wonderful promises at the age of 75. So you do the math. God appeared to him at 75. He believed the promises of God, followed God, obeyed God. And at 175, he died. So for 100 years, Abraham walked with God. That's pretty significant, right? 100 years he walked with God. And so we, we see that, that, that consistency in his relationship with God. Also, Abraham was a friend of God. Over in James 2, 22 and 23, it describes Abraham as a friend of God. A friend of God. What a great description. A friend of God. He walked with him. He talked with him. He obeyed him. He loved him. He had a relationship with him. Abraham was a friend of God. And, and can I just share with you this? I believe your life and my life will be successful if people, when we go on into eternity, could say about us, hey, that person was a friend of God. Wade was a friend of God. Wouldn't that be great to have someone say that about your life? Third, Abraham left a clear example of faith for his descendants to emulate. Abraham left a clear example of faith for his descendants to emulate. So he died in good old age, an old man and full of years and gathered to his people. And so Abraham was not perfect. We saw some instances where Abraham fell and Abraham stumbled uh, in, in the, the uh, description of his life. But he, he got a lot right. He walked by faith. He lived by faith. He believed in the promises of God. He grew stronger in his faith. And so he left a clear example of faith for his descendants to emulate. So let me ask you a question. When you step into eternity and you're no longer here, has your life provided a clear example of faith for your descendants to emulate? In other words, will your descendants know how to walk with God because they watch you walk with God? There's a, uh, an older song by Steve Green that I love. It says, May all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Are you leaving footprints that lead your descendants, that lead your loved ones, that lead your family to a closer walk, a walk of faith with the living God? Abraham left a clear example of faith for his descendants to emulate, which gets to legacy. And so we're living to leave that legacy. We want our life to live on even though we are no longer physically on this earth. Your legacy is the influence you will have on others after your death. 
Your, your legacy is the influence you will have on others after your death. And guess what? Everyone in this room will leave a legacy. Now, it's up to you to see that that legacy is a godly legacy. It might be an ungodly legacy, it might be godly, but you're going to leave a legacy. And, and the goal is to be like Abraham and leave a godly legacy. Your legacy is the influence you will have on others after your death. I don't know if you have uh, read or seen that uh, the founder and owner of uh, Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, uh, passed away this week and they had his memorial service today and all sorts of neat antidotes have come out of that memorial service and, and his uh, life. Uh, there was an ad in the Wall Street Journal by Chick-fil-A and all the ad said was this. It said, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 22 verse 1. And Chick-fil-A took out that ad in the Wall Street Journal to say, listen, we know that Truett Cathy was a rich man. We know that Truett Cathy, uh, you know, presided over a, a growing, explosively growing restaurant chain and that is a great chain and puts out great product, but, but his, his life is not about chicken sandwiches. His life was about being a godly man and leaving a legacy and leaving a reputation of God. In other words, his reputation was more important than his money. And they put that... They put that that ad in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, as people arrived at his funeral, everyone was given a card. You ever seen these cards where you get a free chicken sandwich? You ever been given one of those? I love those things. I'm, let, me just, let me just put all my cards on the table. I'm a big Chick-fil-A fan, okay? Uh, I, I like it. It's good stuff. And, and uh, occasionally, you know, at, a, at some event or something, they'll give out cards where you can go get a free chicken sandwich. Those things are like gold around my house, you know? We're like, free chicken, let's go! Free chicken sandwich. So, uh, you get those cards. But when people arrived at the funeral, they got a card, but it had nothing to do with chicken. Each card that they were given was an invitation to receive Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Everyone that arrived. I mean, that, that is what his life was about. And here's something you may not know about Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy taught uh, eighth grade boys Sunday school for over 50 years. As a matter of fact, he wrote a book called It's Better to Build Boys Than Mend Men. In other words, better get them when they're young and teach them to walk with God than having to help them pick up the broken pieces of their life because they've never been taught to walk with God. And he taught that Sunday school for over 50 years. And so his life is going is to keep making an impact even though he's in heaven now. His legacy will live on. His influence will be great on others after his death. And shouldn't that be all of our goals? That our influence, after we die, lives on and influences people in a godly direction. So, know that you have eternal life because of your faith in Christ. Live to leave a legacy. We're still talking about Abraham's faith today, aren't we? We're still learning from Abraham today. Learn to live, uh, leave to live a legacy. Uh, and here's the third thing. Face death with faith. Face death with faith. Abraham knew that even though he and Sarah were facing death, God would still fulfill his promises. Abraham knew that even though he and Sarah were facing death, God would still fulfill his promises. Now, turn back to Genesis 23. I want to show you some things about Sarah's death. She died before him. That give us some interesting insight into Abraham's faith. Genesis chapter 23. 
The Bible says Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Look in verse 3. Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, they were in Canaan, which was the promised land for the Jewish people, but they, they weren't living in it yet because they weren't yet a great nation. It wasn't yet Abraham's land to live in. He was sojourning there, but he did not own it. He said in verse 4, I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Hittites answered, Abraham, hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God. They saw something about his life. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of the city. Now my, uh, know, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered, Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron. Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field which the cave, uh, with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So we're, the writer here, Moses, is taking special care to show us this tomb is in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. The field and the cave that is, in, that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Now, why is there all of this dialogue about Abraham buying a cave to bury his wife in? And why is Abraham going through such pains to give the money to make sure there's a burial place for Sarah in the middle of the promised land? And again, Abraham would be put in that same cave when he died. Why, what's the fuss about? Why is he, is he wanting to bury Sarah right in the middle of the Canaanites? Because this was the land God had promised. And Abraham knew that by burying Sarah here, that he was, he was uh, taking care of a, a lifelong connection that his descendants would have with that land in hopes or in anticipation that God would one day give them that land. It was a promised land. He wanted to buy a burial place for his family in the promised land because he believed God would give that land to his descendants. So Abraham knew that even though he and Sarah were facing death, God would still fulfill his promises. He put her there because he knew God was going to give that land to his descendants one day. And when his descendants came to the promised land, he wanted them to know they could go see their forefather's tomb. So this is foresight. This is Abraham believing the promises of God. God, you told us you'd give this land. You're going to do it. It's not ours right now, but I'm going to go ahead and get a burial plot here because one day it will be my descendants' lands. Everybody see that? Faith in God's promises here. This is highly significant. Now, this is an extended quote I want to go through with you, but it's really helpful to understand what's happening here. From Sarah's time, the cave at Machpelah became an ossuary, a place for bones, 
a depository for the bones of the patriarchs. By insisting that their bones be buried in Canaan, the patriarchs gave their last and ultimate witness to the promise. As Calvin so well put it, while they themselves were silent in death, the sepulcher, the tomb, cried aloud that death formed no obstacle to their entering in possession of it. Machpelah in Hebron became a monument to Abraham's faith in God's sure word of promise. And he goes through some examples of, of how God uh, centered his promises on this place. By faith, Abraham believed God's promise that his descendants would inherit the land. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land for almost a century, living as one to whom it would belong. By faith, Abraham purchased the cave at Machpelah in Hebron. By faith, Abraham buried Sarah in the cave at Hebron. By faith, Isaac buried Abraham with Sarah at Hebron. By faith, Jacob buried his father Isaac at Hebron. By faith, while in Egypt, Jacob charged his sons to bury him in Hebron. By faith, Jacob's sons had him embalmed and took his remains to Hebron for burial. By faith, as the very last lines in Genesis record... Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being at 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. By faith, Moses, 430 years later, at the Exodus, took Joseph's bones up out of Egypt. And then for 40 years, bore his mummified remains throughout Israel's wanderings. By faith, when Joshua conquered the promised land, he buried Joseph's body in fulfillment of the same principle in a plot of land earlier purchased by Joseph's father, Jacob. It is of abiding, say with me here, it is of abiding spiritual significance that two of the 12 spies sent out to scout the promised land after visiting Hebron declared it could be taken. Those two men were Joshua and Caleb, men of faith. Later by faith, Caleb at 85 years of age took Hebron. Hear his words of faith. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out just as the Lord said. Ultimately, this is good. Ultimately, David was anointed king over the house of Judah in Hebron. Thus we see that the bones of the patriarchs shouted from the cave of Machpelah that God would give Israel the land which then culminated through the lives of Joshua and David and David's son Solomon. So why was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, why were these men so intent in getting their bones to the promised land, even though it wasn't their people's yet? Because they believed in the promises of God. They believed God would give them that land. And they wanted that connection, that physical connection with the promised land. And so Abraham here is burying Sarah but he's doing it by faith in God's promises. God's going to fulfill what he said. He's facing death with faith. But let me give you this kind of balancing thought. It's there in your notes. Facing death with faith does not mean that we don't grieve. Because look what it says earlier in chapter 23, verse 2. It says, Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to what? Weep for her. So Abraham had great faith in the promises of God. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. He had a a right perspective on death. Even though death had approached his family, he clung to God's good promises. But he still wept. And that is a very natural and appropriate emotion when we lose a loved one, right? We weep, we cry because we had a, a relationship with them. We, we love them, we will miss them. And so people of faith still mourn. 
I think sometimes we can be sort of callous towards each other and be like, well, you know, that's just, hey, that was God's will and just, you know, suck it up and, you know, carry on, you know. And we, and we have these little pithy sayings we say to each other, you know, uh, that, that try to help each other get over our grief. Sometimes we just need to let each other grieve. Even as people of faith, we grieve. It's, it's sad when you lose a loved one. And, and being sad, weeping, doesn't, doesn't mean that you've lost your faith. It just means that you're sad you've lost a loved one. It means that person meant something to you. I mean, even Jesus, when he was at the, the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, the Bible says, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? And so grief does not negate our faith. Now, if you allow that grief to take you to places of hopelessness and it begins to control your life and your thoughts and your attitude and your outlook, that may mean that you need to get back in the Word and, and, and cling to those promises anew and afresh. But we don't face death without grief, but we always face death with hope. You know what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4? He said, we grieve, but not like the people that don't have hope. We, we grieve, but our grief is different, isn't it? It's a grief that is built on the foundation of hope. It's a grief that is interwoven with hope because of the promises of God. And we see that in Abraham's life. Here's the, the fourth thing I want you to see. We're going to do this very quickly. Prepare your family for the future. How do you face the reality of mortality? Your mortality, the mortality of your family. How do you do that? You prepare your family for the future. Genesis 24 is this interlude between Sarah's death and Abraham's death. And it's a long story, a long narrative about Abraham uh, taking the initiative to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And it's really a beautiful story. It's a beautiful love story. And it's really awesome to see. But what we see happening here is before Abraham died, he wanted to make things, he wanted to make sure things were in order for his son. He wanted to prepare the way for his son to be successful and grow a family and live for the Lord. And so Abraham wanted to make sure his son had a good wife, not from among the pagan Canaanites. He wanted somebody from his relatives uh, that, that, so that he would be, as it would be, equally yoked. And so in the story we see five things, just very quickly. First of all, we see Abraham's initiative. Look in uh, verse 1 of chapter 24. We're not going to read the entire chapter. It's just a long chapter, but let me just show you a few things. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, which was a way to show you're going to make a, a commitment. Kind of weird. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Put your hand, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country, to my kindred, take a wife for my son Isaac. So we see here, Abraham's going to send his servant to his people to find a wife for his son Isaac. This is Abraham's initiative. Secondly, we see the faithfulness of the servant. This servant is a cool dude. He gets his instructions And he says, perhaps the woman, verse 5, may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. 
He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So again, he's, he's holding on to the promise. God's given us this land. I don't want Isaac to move from this promised land. I want to stay here, but I want a wife brought to him. That's his, that's his desire. So, verse 9, the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. I like just signing documents nowadays and leaving out the whole thigh thing, okay? Then the servant took ten of his master's camels, departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water, time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So we see he's faithful. He goes on this long journey to try to find a wife for Isaac, the faithfulness of the servant. But then we see in this story, and it's beautiful, the providence of God. In verses 12 through 49, we see God's providence all over this story. Look what it says in verse 12. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Now he's praying that God would lead him to the right wife for Isaac, which by the way, for single folks, that's always a good thing to bring God into the equation when you're looking for a spouse. Amen? <laughs> I mean, when, when you, if you're looking for someone to marry, you know, why don't we ask God about it? See what God thinks uh, and see how God leads us to the right person. That's just, that was free. You can share that with any single people in your life, all right? So he prays. He says, verse 13, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, God's in this. Now watch this. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So this is Abraham's people, okay? She came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. as a bonus, okay? A maiden, I mean, just it was a bonus. A maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had fi- uh, finished drinking. So she quickly em- emptied her jar to the trough, ran again to the well to draw water. She drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So God here is answering his prayer. Then he asks her some questions uh, in the next passage and finds out she is of Abraham's people. Look what he says in verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. So the providence of God, the one woman that comes out and speaks to him, and, and, and Abraham zeroes in, uh, Abraham's servant zeroes in on this is from Abraham's family. God leads him to the right family, the providence of God, which leads to the fourth thing, the willingness of Rebekah. If you read through 50 through 61, uh, the servant has this conversation with Rebekah's family, and uh, Laban uh, hears this out, uh, and uh, hears out what he has to say, and, and says, well, this sounds like God's in this, but eventually the decision comes down to uh, Rebekah. Look what happens um, in, let's see, uh, verse, verse 57. They have this conversation and, and they say, well, it sounds good, this must be of God. Verse 57, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. 
So Abraham's servant thinks it's a good deal. Uh, Rebecca's family thinks it's a good deal. But let's ask Rebecca what she thinks. Verse 58, And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? He's going to take you back and introduce you to some man to marry that you've never met. She said, what? I will go. Extraordinary faith in this young lady's life. I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. They blessed Rebecca. And Rebecca, verse uh, 61, and her young women arose, rode on the camels, and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. And so we see the willingness of Rebecca, which is a beautiful picture of her willingness to follow God's will and God's leading. But here's the fifth thing. We see the welcome of the bridegroom. And it gets romantic here, okay? This is, just, this is just good stuff. Good stuff. Husbands, just scoot over a little closer to your wife and throw your arm around them. All right, this is, this is, this is good stuff. You ready? Now Isaac had returned from Baralaha Roi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. That's the one you're going to marry. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so we see here God providing a wife, Rebekah, for Isaac. And this is really a beautiful love story and a beautiful picture of the providence of God in bringing two people together. Now, here's what's interesting. Some people believe that chapter 24 is a picture, this is in your notes, is a picture of the marriage of Christ and his church. They think there are some, some similarities here between Isaac and Rebekah and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, you know, uh, the church, his people, were called the bride of Christ, right? So they draw some, some parallels. Now, just, just to be clear, the Bible doesn't make this parallel with Isaac and Rebekah, but it, there are some interesting parallels. In other words, the New Testament doesn't make this parallel, but there are some interesting pictures here uh, that are interesting to think about. For example, uh, folks that believe this is a picture of Christ and his church look at Abraham's initiative as the Father's initiative. God the Father took initiative in our life to save us, right? He, he came to us before we came to him to make us the bride of Christ. The faithfulness of the servant, some people say, is a picture of the Holy Spirit who, who comes and, and, uh, and, and, and grips our heart and draws us to the Father so that we will see our need for the Savior and see our need for the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. The faithfulness of the servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And, and then the promise of God, God is all over bringing us to faith in himself. God is at work all around us in that. And then the willingness of Rebecca would be a picture of our willingness to embrace Jesus as our bridegroom, to say, I will embrace him, I will follow him as my Lord and Savior. And the welcome of the bridegroom is a picture of, of, of us entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. For me, that's happened when I was nine years old. I was nine years old, and I started asking my parents some spiritual questions, and my pastor, F.T. Rogers, came out one day, and we sat down on a summer afternoon at my dining room table, and he walked me through the Romans Road, and I saw my need for a Savior, and I called on the name of the Lord. And as I called on the name of the Lord at that moment, I was brought into relationship with Jesus Christ. I became part of the bride, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. Uh, again, some believe that's pictured in Isaac and Rebekah coming into relationship with one another. And so there's some interesting parallels there that you see. But what I want you to see is that Abraham was taking the lead 
in preparing his family for the future. He knew he was not gonna, always going to be around. So he was going to do what he needed to do to help his family go in a positive direction. And listen to me. You and I are not always going to be around. We've established that, right? Right? We're not guaranteed another blink of our eye. We're not guaranteed to make it home tonight. So, what can we do with the time God has given us to prepare the way for our descendants to go in the right direction? To prepare the way for our descendants to walk with God, to live for His glory? What can we do to help them? I think about David. You remember David wanted to build the temple and God said no? Remember that story? I want to build a temple. God said, no, your son's going to build it. You know what David did before he uh, left the throne, before he died? He did everything he could to get all the materials together, get building plans together, so when Solomon became the king, it was ready to go. I mean, all he had to do was give some orders, and the temple started to come together because David, as his father, had done so much groundwork to prepare the way for, listen, Solomon's success. And we want to do everything we can Parents, grandparents, everything we can to prepare the way for our children's spiritual success. And I don't know what that looks like in your life, but we need to think through this, don't we? What can we do to help them when we are no longer around so that their life will be more glorifying to King Jesus? Prepare your family for the future. And there's one final thing I want you to see. How how does a person of faith face, face death Know that you have eternal life because of your faith in in Jesus Christ. Live to leave a legacy. Face death with faith. Prepare your family for the future. And last, keep your eyes on your eternal home. Keep your eyes on your eternal home. So we see here, Abraham dies in chapter 25. He was buried there in in the promised land, but it wasn't... uh, the land of his descendants yet. God had not given it to them yet. But here's what you need to understand. Even though Abraham was buried in the promised land and he made arrangements for this burial for he and his wife, he was looking to something much bigger than a burial place. Abraham was looking forward to his eternal destiny. Abraham was looking forward to his eternal destiny. So how do you know that? How do you know that Abraham, as he faced death, was looking forward to something beyond the grave? Well, the Bible tells us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Look in verse 9. This is the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Look what it says in verse 9. By faith he went to, talking about Abraham, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. It wasn't, he didn't set up per, permanent dwellings here. Living in tents, he was a sojourner. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he was dwelling in the promised land. He believed God would give that land to his descendants one day, but he was looking at something much bigger than just that piece of land. He was looking to another city, an eternal city, that, that God would build. I believe this speaks of heaven. And skip down with me to verse 13 of Hebrews 11. Verse 13. These all, the, 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 the heroes of the faith, 
These all died in what? In faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If you're just talking about physical land. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So Abraham lived in the promised land, lived on this earth, but he was looking forward to something much bigger, much grander than a physical dwelling place. He was looking forward to a heavenly city that God was preparing, that God would bring him to live in. And so as Abraham lived life, as Abraham faced death, he kept his eyes on his eternal home. He was looking forward to his eternal destiny. Paul says it like this in Philippians 1.21. He says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If you look there in your notes, for the believer, every day we live is opportunity to serve Christ. Every day we wake up with breath in our lungs and a, a heart that beats, we should thank God because he's given us another day in which to serve him and make his name known. Amen? Every day is opportunity to, to live for the glory of Christ. But guess what? To die is better. <laughs> Death for the believer is better than life on this earth. Paul said to die is gain. It's, a, it's, a, it's promotion. That's your notes. For the believer, every day we live is opportunity to serve Christ. To die is promotion. <laughs> so step up. So we should not fear that which is going to be better than what we're experiencing now. We should have hope beyond the grave. Alan Ross writes, The time of death, I love this quote, when the natural inclination is to mourn as the world mourns, should be the time of our greatest demonstration of faith. For the recipient of God's promises has a hope beyond the grave. Isn't that good? So when people see us grieve, when people see us as believers face death, they should not see us shaken to our core. Grieving, yes. Sad, yes. But they should see us as people of strong faith that know there's something much greater waiting for us. We live as people of hope. We are recipients of God's promises. We have hope beyond the grave. I was... I was a texting with my, my cousin today, and, and uh, I told you last week my uncle is, is very sick, and we were t- texting back and forth about him. And, and uh, my, my cousin brought up my mother, who passed away a couple of years ago, my uncle's um, sister, and, um, and he just brought up some things about her. And then he, he texted me back. He said, he said, I hope I didn't upset you. I hope I didn't upset you. And I thought about that, and I was going to give him a real pre- preachy answer. But I just text back and said, you didn't upset me, I'm fine. And I thought about that, and I thought, I'm not upset when I think about my mom, because when I think about my mom, I have hope. I, I, don't, I don't face her death as, 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 as final. As a matter of fact, we use the terminology, I use it all the time, and I don't mean to, but we, when, we, when someone dies that we love, we say we've lost them, right? We've lost them. But you don't lose something if you know where it is, right? And so I haven't lost my mom, I know where she is, she's in heaven. 
And I know because of my faith in Christ, I'll be reunited with her. And so, yeah, I'm sad. I miss mom. I wish she was here to be with my kids. And and she was a great grandma. And I I miss her greatly. But I'm not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. It 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 doesn't just rock me to my foundations when I think about my mom. As a matter of fact, I can think about her with joy, knowing that one day I will see her again. And listen, that's the difference that Jesus makes, right? That's the difference that Jesus makes. He gives us hope, he gives us peace, he gives us strength. So we should not face death like other people face death. We should face death with great faith. I believe Abraham models that faith in the face of death. 